Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. If your New Year's resolution was to lose weight, consider worship at Vintage Church as cardio. <laughs> if, you're, if you're doing it right. Because sometimes I'm like, am, am I really worshiping that hard or am I that out of shape? Ah, <sighs> well, Hello, church. Welcome, everybody in the room. Again, will you welcome everybody joining us online today, worshiping with us virtually as we continue to move into a new year. There's something about a new year. Even in the midst of COVID and all the craziness that we're experiencing in our world, when you step into a new year, there's just something about it that causes you to feel some measure of, of excitement, some, some belief of hope. There, there's just something that, that new things, new seasons, if you will, stir up something in you. And even though as I barely made it to midnight on New Year's Eve, and we watched 2020 turn into 2021, even though I knew when I woke up on January 1 that a lot of the things that we're still having to figure out were gonna be present, there was a sense of hope Anybody else? A sense of, of, of excitement for, for what is to come. And, and as I said in my prayer, the, I get really reflective as I close out a year. And I'm a big-time journaler. I don't know if you are a journal person, but if, if you want to really grow personally, spiritually, emotionally, begin to journal. I know that everybody, some people might think, that's weird just to sit down and write down my thoughts. I, only I can read my handwriting. Well, that's good because only you're going to read it. But it gives you this sense of reflection. And, and, and as I finished out 2020 and I looked back, I could just see God's hand in it. And I'm thinking, God, if you can do all that through this, what can you do in the year ahead? Because I think things will begin to shift. And as we stand here on the first Sunday of a new year and we look forward, I hope that you feel that same sense of, of hope. That in 2021, things can be different. And I'm not just talking about COVID and all its issues. That as you stand here, there's some things about your life, your marriage, your kids, your business. That there are some things that you think, hey, 2021 can be a year where some things that need to change actually do. And this is a good time to have that conversation with yourself and with those people that are around you. But you've heard me say before, we're a culture that wants everything to change but doesn't want to change anything. Give you some good truth to start the year. If nothing changes, nothing will change. Y'all got a smart pastor. If nothing changes, nothing will change. And I think we've learned that. So what we do is we head into a new year and we change everything. And here's what's frustrating. We move into a new year every year and we change everything and nothing changes. Are you confused yet? Because see, that's, what's, that's why we quit in February. Or at best we make it to March. It's because we head into a new year and we change everything. 
and two weeks go by or three weeks go by or six weeks go by or maybe even six months go by and we've changed everything, but nothing seems to change. And that's kind of the way we go about life and that's why we get frustrated with it, amen? Because we make all these change, changes. We change jobs because the last one just wasn't for us. My coworkers were annoying. My boss didn't get me. There was no opportunity for promotion. We changed relationships because the next one will be the one. And we start making all these changes and nothing changes. And I know why. Because there's one thing in life you will never be able to escape. You. You are the one person you can't get rid of. Everywhere you go, guess what? There you are. And if life continues to be something less than what you want, you have to look at the common denominator. And what we don't want to admit is the biggest problem in our lives is us. The one that's keeping us from joy and fulfillment is the one looking back at you when you stare into the mirror. You cannot escape yourself. And here's the reality. No external modification you make can compensate for the internal change you need. Let me say that again. No external modification that you make can compensate for the internal change that you need. What we don't want to admit is the enemy lies within. That all of the frustration that we experience or a good portion of it is our own fault. So much of the frustration that we experience in life is of our own doing. And you can get a new job. And you can find a new relationship. And you can buy a new car. You can even get some new sneakers. I like new sneakers. You can make all these external modifications, but what happens is that's, we, we've tried that. But if you don't realize that you are most often your own worst enemy, your life will never be any different than it has ever been. And so much of what you're feeling will never shift that we are often our own worst enemy. Charles Spurgeon, which is one of the greatest preachers to ever live, once said this, beware of no man more than of yourself. We carry our own worst enemies within us. Beware of no man more than of yourself. We carry our own worst enemies within us. That if you change everything around you and don't allow God to change some things in you, 2021 will be no different than 2020. See, that other stuff, if you're honest, the other things, 
they're easy. You can paint the room. You can finance for 438 months that car. You can even go to the gym and with enough discipline change your physical appearance. And then wonder why you still feel insecure. And it's so easy to keep blaming everything and everybody. It's easier to do that than to do the hard work of being honest about what's going on inside of you. That so often we are victims of self-sabotage. There's some of us, we don't even know how to be happy. We've gotten so good at being miserable that when we do start to experience some measure of joy, we don't even realize that we're intentionally trying to wreck it. Are y'all with me this morning? And if we don't make that internal change, if we don't start taking ownership for what we are doing to ourselves, things are never gonna be any different. And there are weapons of self-destruction that we have to deal with if we're gonna make the changes that we need. I wanted, I wanted to call this series something else and our team said I couldn't. I wanna call this series Road to Ruin. And they were like, we can't start a new year talking about Road to Ruin. It just seems just too depressing. But that's what many of us are on right now. You're on a road to ruin. And if you don't win within, 2021, when you stand here at the end of this year, things, even though you changed everything, look at me, things might even be worse. Because change doesn't change things in the right way, it's the right changes in the right ways. Come on. And so that's the question is, is let's change the right things. Let's look inside of our hearts and stop being victims of self-destruction. Let's find a way to get out of our own way and not let these things continue to ruin our lives. We finished the year talking about, let's take our eyes off what's happening to us and look at what happened for us. Because see, when you do that, when you start fixating on what happened for you, you realize that God has done something in you to respond to what's happening around you in a way that's positive. And the good news is we have examples in Scripture in so many ways of what to do, and we have examples in Scriptures of what not to do. And there is a guy in the Bible that was the poster child for self-sabotage. There is a guy in scripture that is the poster child for falling victim to weapons of self-destruction and his name is Saul. And just so you know, maybe you're new to church, you're still, I'm not talking about the New Testament guy, Saul, walking down the road, God changes his life, he becomes Paul and does all kinds of amazing things in the church. I'm talking about Saul who was the very first king of Israel. Saul begins in obscurity, but ends in tragedy. Saul would be the first person that God would ever choose to be king over his people. And eventually his story ends with him taking his own life. Because he has a series of internal missteps 
He continues to respond to the things that are happening around him in ways that he doesn't have to, but ways he chooses to. And little by little, it chips away at him till eventually he falls on his own sword. And I just can't think that there's so many of us that need to learn these things because when seasons happen like 2020, it brings all that self-sabotage stuff to the surface. And so many reasons why 2020 was so hard for so many of us is not was because of what happened to us, but how we responded to it. And if this year's gonna be any different, I don't think 2021 is gonna always bring I'm, gonna be a, I'm just going to be a poster child for good news. 2021 might be just as hard, if not harder, with what happens around you. Doesn't mean it can't be a better year. Just because it's not different doesn't mean it can't be better. But we have to lean into the things that are necessary and grow and look within. Stop making excuses and let the Holy Spirit form us into who he created us to be so that we can look anything that we face in the eye and walk through it and deal with it properly. You with me? Grab your Bible. Go to 1 Samuel. Let me set the stage. We got, I gotta show you kind of how he became king. See, this Saul that we're gonna lean into over the next few weeks, he really wasn't supposed to be king because God never wanted his people to be led by a man. God, from the beginning, he set his people apart. He wanted the nation of Israel to be different than everybody else. He wanted, God wanted to be the ruler. God wanted to be the authority. God never intended for his people to be subservient to another human. He wanted to recognize God's authority, but there comes a time in the history of the nation of Israel where they start to not be okay with that. They want to be like everybody else. And from this point on, the prophets had been the voice, the the mouthpiece for God, and that had been who they had followed. And Samuel would be one of the last ones to be that. Samuel chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. So, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people, to what all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So the people come to Samuel and say, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. We want somebody that we can look to, we can depend on. In other words, we don't want to take responsibility of ourselves. We want somebody new to blame. It's amazing how culture doesn't change a whole lot, does it? But he says, now look, if that's what they want, and see, if sometimes God just allows us to be given over to the things that we refuse to let go of. And he says, but go warn them, go tell them, like, right, if you choose a king, things are gonna, they're not gonna be like they, you think they are. And Samuel does, he says, listen, these are all the negative consequences of you making this decision. Isn't it funny how we can know the negative consequences and still be stupid? Sometimes we do dumb things, not because we don't know any better, like, we know, this is gonna be bad, I'm gonna do it anyway. This, this is gonna burn me, I'm gonna put my head in the fire. And he warns them, he says, don't, 
don't do this. And they respond, verse 19, 1 Samuel chapter 8. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. You see there's a mentality already present there. And so God begins to speak to Samuel and says, if this is what they want, this is what I'll give them. And he says, I'm gonna show you who I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna choose a king to be over them. And if this king will listen to you and listen to me and fall under my authority, this won't be as bad as it could be. If we can find a leader who will stay in tune with me and, and serve me and follow me, that's gonna be the ideal situation. And so he chooses Saul and he makes it clear. And the Bible says Saul is this good looking dude, tall, handsome. It says he's a head taller than everybody else. And Saul doesn't see this coming. He never asked to be king. He comes from this itty bitty tribe and even though he has all these physical attributes, he has no desire or want to be king, but Samuel makes it clear that he has chosen him. And if you move into 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse five. It says, after that, after that you will go to Gibeah of, of God where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you, Saul, will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. Then look at verse six. Then the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal, and I will surely come to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So God chooses Saul to be king over the nation of Israel, and he makes it clear, and he does all these things to point to the reality that God has anointed and appointed him to be who the people had asked for. And Samuel, this prophet of God, says, you're gonna come this moment and God's gonna, the spirit of God is gonna come upon you because Saul, you don't have what it takes to be who this nation needs to be. But when the spirit of God comes on you, he's gonna change you because the spirit of God cannot come on a person without that person changing drastically. And it says he changes him into a different person. The reason why I wanna point this out is because this says that Saul in that moment would have everything he needed to accomplish what God desires. When we fail, it's not God's fault. It's easy as we move forward and look at Saul's story and think, well, he's just a dude. God put him in an impossible situation. Saul was just in over his head and he didn't know how to handle it. And the reason why he comes to ruin is because he just, because that's what we do, right? God calls us to do something. He puts an anointing on our life and then we step out. Then we make a lot of bad decisions and we fail and we blame God. God, why, why, why'd you call me to plant this church and lead these people? Why'd you call me to have these crazy kids? And I don't even know what I'm doing. And God's saying like, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna equip you with everything you need 
to do all I've called you to do. Somebody in the room needs to hear that. God does not call you to something just to leave you out there on your own. If you stepped out in a God calling and it begins to fail, it's not God's fault. Because some of us are sitting in this room and we are unfairly, we're, we're mad at God for something that we did. It's gonna be heavy for the next four weeks. Welcome to Venice Church. And did you notice what happened? See, in this time, there's a lot of tension between the nation of Israel and a group called the Philistines. Y'all are familiar with that term because y'all know of Goliath. He was a Philistine. The Israel and the Philistines had been beefing for years. And he says, go down to this place where they're camped and there's gonna be some tension and there's gonna be a battle. But he says, make it very clear. He says, wait seven days. Wait seven days. And then when I get there, we're gonna, we're gonna, make the, we're gonna do the ritual sacrifice that's necessary of burnt offerings and things like that. And then we're gonna seek God in the ways he's commanded us to seek him and be honoring him in that way. And then we will enter into the battle. Clear, right? Say amen. Clear. He says, wait. And so Saul gathers his men and heads in. If you move into chapter 13, Saul's about to make his first critical mistake. 1 Samuel chapter 13, I'm gonna start with verse three. It says, Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. Verse eight, he waited seven days the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. Verse 11, what have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, well, when I, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I will not have sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him to be ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. 
You see what just happened? Saul's in this position. And number one, he kicked a hornet's nest when he attacked the Philistines. And now they are gathering up to go to war with him. And he is up against an enemy that outnumbers him in ways he can't even imagine. And he's waiting all this time because he knows, Samuel said, wait seven days. Before you enter into this battle, you need to follow precisely what God has instructed you to do. Because look at me, God cares about the details. Look at me, there is no such thing as partial obedience. Doesn't exist. There's no such thing as partial obedience. There is full, complete, immediate obedience or it's disobedience. And Saul, so Saul wasn't confused about the details. But things begin to shift and pressure begins to build. Pressure. Anybody feel pressure in life? Come on. You know, that kind of pressure where you just feel like everything's coming in around you and you don't know what to do. The deadline is coming. The test results are waiting. There's all these things that you have to do. There's employees that you have to take care of. There's kids you have to make sure somehow make it through school. The pressure begins to build. Can anybody relate? Say amen. Come on. Pressure does weird things to people, doesn't it? And day after day, pressure begins to build. But, but, but he knows Samuel told me, therefore, it's as if God himself said, you wait seven days. Seven is a very prominent biblical number, a number of completion. You wait seven days. And so the way I think it happens, Saul wakes up on that seventh day, Samuel's not in camp. And the pressure has been so overwhelming. He's watching his men begin to scatter. It's one thing to know that you're against an enemy that you don't feel like you can defeat. But then when the people that you depend on start to abandon you, you really start to freak out. You ever been there? That in your season of greatest pressure, the people you thought you could depend on are not there? Has anybody ever had that happen? It's one thing to feel like life has pressure building. It's another thing to feel like now you're, you're worried that you're not gonna have the resources that you need to do the thing that you feel like you're called to do. And remember, he's there because God appointed it and God anointed that he be there. And when he wakes up on that seventh day and Samuel has not showed up, the pressure gets the best of him. And see, that happens to us often in life, that pressure begins to mount and how you and I handle pressure will greatly determine the outcome of our lives. When we have those pressure situations arise in our lives, what are you gonna do? And you, you know what God has said, but everything around you is beginning to swirl and it feels like life is gonna cave in on you. How you handle those moments will make all the difference. And most often, we do what Saul did. We panic. We panic. You, you, you ever just panicked? Just had a moment when everything was going sideways and, and, you, and you knew what you were about to do probably wasn't the best thing to do. You knew what you, you were about to do probably wasn't even gonna solve the problem, but the pressure was just so much, you just, you just reacted. 
Come on. But here's the problem. When pressure comes and it leads to panic, panic most often causes disobedience. And that's exactly what happened to Paul, to Saul. Panic that caused disobedience. He let the panic get the best of him. Because see, when pressure comes and we panic, we become more driven by emotion than led by God. Now, I know none of y'all have ever done that. You've never let your emotion take over and God take a back seat. You've never handed the steering wheel of your life to your anger. You've never handed the steering wheel of your life to bitterness. But when pressure comes, the easiest thing to do is to panic. And if we panic and let the emotion take charge, then that panic will most often cause disobedience. A verse I read several years ago in a series we called Toxic is from Proverbs 25, verse 28. It says, like a city that is broken into and without walls, so is a person who has no, self, has no self-control over his spirit. And panic will do that. When we start looking at all the things that are happening around us, instead of focusing on the God who is for us, emotion takes control, God takes a back seat, and we start being driven by emotion instead of led by God. And what happens is our need to control overpowers our desire to surrender. Our need to control overpowers our desire to surrender. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. All he could think about was if something doesn't happen, if we don't do something right now, things are gonna go sideways. And when emotion takes charge, our need to control overcomes our desire to surrender. It wasn't that he didn't know what God wanted from him. He felt like he needed to manage the situation. And I've learned the hard way many times in my life that me in control was not a good idea. I I have messed up my life so many times because I tried to control it. I let pressure build. Y'all don't understand how many times God has saved this church from my impulses. Every time we stay in this building, I think about how many times I tried to force us being in this building, and if it would have worked out, we would have bankrupt this church and we'd have never even made it to 2021. Times when I thought that we had to get out of being portable, we had to get out of the middle school, we had to do all these things. And even though we didn't have the money or the resources and the timing was all wrong, I was trying to force things to happen because I was panicking at what I saw around me. And when you panic, you get driven by emotion and your need to control overpowers your desire to surrender. He said, wait till Samuel gets here. What feels like the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. What feels like the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. See, it's easy to look, well, all all Saul did was offer up some worship to God. He did what he had no authority to do at a time he had no authority to do it. And then what happens next, see, when, when panic sets in and we take charge and we overcome this thing, what happens next is pride begins to set in. 
look at, look at verse 12. It says, I thought now that the Philistines were come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Look at so much about that statement. His response, when Samuel comes and says, Saul, what did you do? He doesn't say, oh man, Samuel, I'm sorry, dude, I lost control of my emotions and, and I know that I wasn't supposed to and I know what God said. I'm so sorry, man. It got, it got the best of me. I, I shouldn't have done it. I, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. What, what I did was, no, he says, well, all this stuff was happening, Samuel. You weren't here, man. You don't know how bad it was getting. My best soldiers were running away. So you can judge me if you want to, but I did what I had to do. See, when pressure comes, there's panic that causes disobedience. But then afterward, there's usually pride that creates destruction. See, on the other side of a bad decision, our go-to is to justify the decision we made instead of take responsibility for what we've done. I just think about how different might Saul's life have been when Samuel showed up, had he said, you know what, you're right, man, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. But no, what he tries to do is try to make excuses for the things that he did. He tries to justify the decision that he made in the Proverbs 16, 18 verse is quite accurate. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. See, in pride, our response is to make excuses instead of take responsibility. He had the opportunity to own the decision, but when you justify the mistake, you only magnify it. You only make it worse. And here, Saul, at the very beginning of his opportunity to lead and reign over the nation of Israel, is ruined, not because it had to be, not because it couldn't go different, but because when the pressure came, he made the bad decision. He let the, the pressure create panic. And then when he had the opportunity to take ownership of it, he let pride seep in. And this would start the ball rolling in his life of a series of decisions that would eventually lead to his ruin. And it didn't have to. Because see, you don't, you, don't, you don't have to panic when pressure comes. You don't have to. He didn't have to panic. What he needed to do was to just be patient. God was gonna do what he said he was gonna do. God may show up at the last minute, but he'll show up. He will show up. And I just think if, if in that moment of pressure, instead of panic, he would have just had patience. The patience that cultivates dependence. If he would have just had that patience, if he would have just said, okay, God, it's falling apart right now and everything around me is crumbling, my men are leaving and I am freaking out. But I know what you said. So I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna be patient. 
I'm going to hold out hope that you will do what you said, and I'm just going to depend on you. How different would his life have been if he had just made that decision? Psalm 37, verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, because it only leads to evil. (laughs) Don't panic when the pressure comes, because what's gonna happen is gonna be more detrimental than you can even understand. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. That when the pressure comes and everything in you says, it's time to panic. Remember that the panic won't eliminate the pressure, it only create more problems. That you have a choice to be patient and trust that God will do what he said he will do. Wait on the Lord. Because see, our level of trust is measured by our willingness to wait. Our level of trust is measured by our willingness to wait. We're gonna move into this year and we're gonna make all these changes and do all these things and time's gonna kick by and we're not gonna see the results or the difference that we thought and we're gonna panic and we're gonna think we gotta do something different even though we know that God said, hey, this is what you need to do as you move into 2021. This is the discipline you need to have in showing up to church and reading your Bible and connecting with people for spiritual relationships that feed your soul. And then things are not gonna go like you thought they would. And you're gonna be tempted to let that pressure create panic. And if you do, disobedience will be the result. And then in that disobedience, if you don't take responsibility and let pride sink in, it will eventually lead to your destruction, but you have another choice. When that pressure comes and everything in you says, run, change, do something different. You can say, I'm just gonna wait. Everything in me says, abandon, surrender, and take control. But I'm just gonna wait. God, I've heard your voice. I know what you said. And even though it's getting close, and even though it feels like everything's gonna fall apart, I'm gonna trust you. Psalm 27. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So God, this year, as we move into a new season, hopeful, believing change is gonna come. God, we also know that pressure is gonna build. That there are gonna be moments when things don't go like we planned. And everything that we use to indicate success doesn't seem to be there. 
And even though we know what you've said, we know what you've required, we know what you desire for us, that pressure is gonna tempt us to panic, to be controlled by what we see instead of what you've said, to abandon and surrender to your word and take control ourselves. But God, we've learned far too often that when we take control, we just make it worse. And so God, I pray that for the people today that maybe already feel that pressure, that they're not seeing what they hope to see and that desire to abandon what you said them, to them is growing. God, I pray that today that you'd build patience in this room, that we would sit back and we would wait on you. And God, in a time when it seems like inactivity seems like the dumbest thing that we could do, we, was, we, wanna, we wanna make something happen. We wanna generate the change. We wanna do something just to see a different result. And God, we're struggling. I pray that right now that you would grow patience in us, that our willingness to wait is how we measure our level of trust. And God, we trust you. And we demonstrate that trust in you by saying, God, we'll just wait. We'll just sit right here. Allow you to be God and to have your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.